Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam and Joel for the 14th episode of Horror Express. Tonight we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. Um, We're recording this on All Saints Day, so we originally wanted to do it on October 31st, but our scheduling got thrown off, and so we decided it's still fair to do things on, on All Saints Day, and I think we could even get up to all souls day on the second i think we got a couple of days window here if we want to squeeze anything else in uh i don't think we're going to but i i still consider this to be the halloween season so uh so so anyways we're we're doing halloween and um and i do want to mention we have uh some potential audio issues that seem to be a product of connectivity and we've done the best we can to fix them but you might notice a little a little uh uh, fading in and out on 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 Joel's end, and and we are only mentioning it because normally Joel sounds so pristine and wonderful on the podcast that we want to, you know, we, we want people to understand this is just a technical issue. So uh, so yeah, so guys, uh, do I need to give a recap of this movie? I mean, this is like the movie they play every year on Halloween, right? And everybody's seen it. Do we need to explain the plot, or are we okay just diving into a discussion of it? Well. A, I do think you should explain at least the skeleton of the plot. And B, you don't have to softball this for our audience. They know. Guys, I was actually ritualistically sacrificed on All Hallows' Eve when I sent a cult, and I'm joining you from beyond the grave! <laughs> so that's the audio issue. Yeah, uh, so, yeah we've... Ongoing. I don't know if I'll be able we, to we have the, before the next episode. The best spiritualists in the business working on getting a line of communication with Joel right now. So hopefully mm-hmm. it'll improve as the podcast goes on. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the basic plot is a madman escapes from an asylum and the doctor, uh, whose care he's under Dr. Loomis, uh, ha- you know, has to spend Halloween tracking him down while he goes and murders babysitters in his hometown. And, you know, he ends up, you know, finally chasing a, a, a woman named Lori Strode, uh, who's sort of the quintessential final girl, I suppose you could say. And, uh, you know, you know, I don't know, it comes to a big, you know, explosive uh, climax at the end where he gets shot by Dr. Loomis six times and falls off of the balcony and disappears into the night. And it's kind of got an ambiguous haunting ending. And uh, um, and I suppose I should probably mention that the killer is Mike Myers. And he, um, he at the opening of the movie, he kills his sister, which is sort of the genesis of his character. And so the film starts in 1963 and then it picks up in 1978 years later so i don't know is there anything else you guys want to add to the plot that i might have overlooked there that was a lot more meat on those bones than i thought there was going to be i thought it was just going to be like like, there is a psycho and he kills people or something (laughs) very similar this is all almost like the quintessential slasher it's like almost like precursor to the slasher genre Mm -hmm. um so it it really is very straightforward and simple in a way that like we don't really have movies, especially like horror movies, that are quite this direct with their premise anymore. Yeah, uh, it's, it's completely uncomplicated. So I don't think there's anything more to add. Actually, I think we may have added too much detail. Yeah, and there is Black Christmas and like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff, but I do feel like this is like the prototype for like the '80s slasher movies that we got. Um, so, so yeah. So, uh, what do you guys think about this movie? What's your feelings towards it? And you know, did you, are you guys both people that watch this every year when it airs? Did you just watch it once when you were kids? Like, what, what's your, what's your whole orientation in life towards Halloween? Uh, I guess I'll go. Uh, it's uh, 
I, well, for me, it's interesting because I, I do have a complicated relationship with this movie because as someone that was a teenager all pretty much all the way through the 80s, there were so many slasher movies that I just grew to hate slasher movies okay. as a whole. But Halloween is a good movie. It's yeah. like it's one of those cases where something just gets so many horrible imitations, but the original is still good. It's just, you know, nowadays... The whole slash movie thing is so far away, it really doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. But yeah, that was a long span of time where I just, I, I mean, for the most part, I just did not care for this genre. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, this is and it's very different too because it is not a conscious slasher movie like the formula, as it's yeah. a an original thing into itself. I mean, it takes a long time to really get into the slashing and stuff. For example, it has a very slow setup kind of introduces all the characters you spend a lot of time with them and uh but yeah I, I i really enjoyed watching this movie again i haven't seen it in forever i don't even know the last time i actually sat down okay. and watched it but but yeah i i found it a very enjoyable well-paced movie on the whole but uh yeah i don't know what's your what's your experience joel uh, i don't have quite have your complex relationship with slashers because that was right before the era that I started watching horror movies so yeah. I kind of got only the cream of those that rose to the top and so I, uh -huh. I had a fondness for them yeah. the thing that was poison for me was like the torture porn genre your, yeah. your saws and hostels mm -hmm. and what have you again I like saw and the first hostel is pretty shocking not great but shocking and then everything else after that was just like okay thank you that will be all so that's that's my poison subgenre of horror yeah. Um, but I, I, I have a special fondness for slashers. Uh, I'm a big, big Jason guy. I like, uh, I like Freddy. I like all the classic slashers. And like Mike Myers is, I, again, I have sort of a weird relationship with him. Like a lot of horror icons are really just iconic movies that are sort of before my time. I was introduced to it by my mom one Halloween and we watched it together and I was kind of like associated with her in a sort of a pleasant way. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was wonderfully reminiscent of that. Um, and it's it has been a while since I've watched this movie. I've I've always kind of held a fondness for it, but it's been a distant one because I don't like ritualistically watch this like I watch American Psycho or Videodrome. Um, and you know, I'd forgotten what a masterpiece this movie was. Uh, as you can see, why they grew such a firm genre of horror out of this movie, mm -hmm. and and like those other original movies that like are really groundbreaking, it's actually significantly different in its approach there's no formula yet and so it's able to dwell on things you wouldn't suspect like how much it makes you care about the the characters that wind up getting horrifically and suddenly and shockingly killed yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm thinking especially of uh like it's in like the first part where you're in the the point of view of mike myers when he's killing his sister as a kid that's an extremely disturbing and disorienting scene there's a lot of really fascinating rich stuff like that so I watched this last night uh, as as I was being killed as the Satanists were uh, were playing in the background. And really, as I was dying, I was just admiring just how deliberate and intelligent this movie is, how much it seems to understand the fears of its audience and play on them. So I, I was deeply impressed again with this movie. Uh, and then I died. So that was kind of a downer yeah, part of yeah, the movie. Was... But until <laughs> the death, it was great. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, my 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 relationship with this movie is uh, 
like Joel, I, I liked slashers growing up. I, I, and, and, and maybe it's my age, but I also think maybe me and Adam just probably have a different reaction to the slasher genre is my guess. I should clarify too, that it's not like I hate all slashers. Mm. I mean, I, like I said, I, I do like a lot of the nightmare Elm street movies mm. and some of the Friday, the 13th stuff. And, and, but it's just, there were so many, like, I mean, mm. as Joel said, there's the cream that rose to the top and it's like, I, I, the cream had not separated when yeah. I was watching these movies, and there was just so much, so much junk, like, like somebody sleepaway camp and things like yeah. that. Like, yeah, the, yeah. I, there, I, there's a lot of I can't even remember, but it was like, there, and every time I'm like, "Ooh, I'm gonna watch a horror movie on cable," and it's like, "Oh, it's another generic slasher." And, well, uh, and what's funny about all those little ones like that is that they kind of all appeal to slightly different people. So you'll meet people who have like a real incredible fondness for one of those ones that wasn't the cream of the crop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, yeah. you know, the, the, but, but they, yeah, the, I, I know what you mean. Um, but I think uh, for, for me with Halloween, my, my experience with it was I grew up during the slasher boom. So like, you know, Freddie, Jason, Mike Myers, these were all in the air, but I don't think I had ever seen the first Halloween until high school. I think I, I had seen, you know, the later Halloweens. Do you know what I mean? I had seen all the the uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets and all the Friday the 13th. But I just assumed that the first Halloween was like all of the Halloweens that came after it. And I, and I assumed it was basically kind of like Friday the 13th. And then in high school, I actually sat down and watched Halloween when I was working at the video store. And I was amazed at how much better it was than pretty much all of the slasher movies I had grown up on. Um, yeah. And then from that point on, it was just I was in love with the movie and I would watch it, you know, every Halloween when it would air. Um, I mean, I probably didn't watch it every Halloween, but I would make a point of trying to catch it on TV on Halloween. If I wasn't actively watching it, it was probably in the background. So, you know, I, I just think um, and I think the thing that really did it for me was you could just tell it's like a well-crafted film. Do you know what I mean, it's not it's not like like Friday the 13th are fun. And I think there's there's one or two that kind of rise to a slightly high level. And and Nightmare on Elm Street is also I think the original one is really good, but Halloween is is just uh it's just got a different level of uh of quality to it. And uh and 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 also it has this thing going where it really fits the Halloween mood. Do you know what I mean everything in it is so familiar? And so when yeah. you watch Halloween and you're especially if you're watching it on Halloween, it just feels right. It's just one of those things. It's kind of like, I don't know, what would another film like that be? Like um, uh, a Christmas story on Christmas, that kind of a thing. Um, mm -hmm. It just kind of. Or Groundhog's is, Day on Groundhog's Day. Yeah, yeah but I feel like that could be watched any day of the year. That's, <laughs> but it, I, it goes back to what I was saying, how the movie really takes its time, too, before you really get to the killing of the babysitters and stuff, too. It really grounds itself in this little neighborhood, and it, feel, it becomes yeah. a real place. And you, this circle, little circle of friends and everything, and it... Yeah, it just it just has a real reality to it before it actually has the killer start killing people, which change because yeah. most slash movies don't do that. They just give you yeah. these very stereotypical broad characters and they start cutting them down within the first half hour and it's and, just you're not never that engaged in it. And the whole babysitter thing works too because everybody's been babysat or not everybody, yeah. but most people have or they have a sister that babies. You know, there's just it's just so familiar everything in the film. Um and so, yeah, I do, I do think all of that, that works. Now, 
I guess we could start by talking about the opening scene, which was, again, growing up, even when I hadn't seen this movie, everybody would tell me about this scene. Everybody heard. So it was almost like an urban legend to me before (laughs) I actually saw it. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, you know, paying closer attention to at this time, you know, it's, it's obviously it's like a long track shot. It's all one. I don't think there's any cuts in it, right? It's just all from the beginning to the end of the murder. You pretty much see everything through Mike Myers' eyes until he comes out of the house and his parents uh, come to him, right? And then you get that thing where it pans away from him. Um, you know, what? any thoughts on that opening scene? Oof. Well, it, like I said, it's extremely eye-catching in a way that a lot of the a, a lot of films don't have the kind of boldness to do that you know and it's one of those times and actually the movie does this a few times with mike myers where if they had handled handled it any less perfectly than they did it would have been comedy like there's later on there's a scene where he's stabbed in the eye and then in the stomach and then he falls over apparently dead and then it takes exactly the right amount of time for him to sit back up suddenly to be yeah. shocking but not so little that it's comedic. Yeah. And it's yeah. the same way with this, where they're they're walking this incredible, like, dental floss tightrope of making this dumb, where it's a little kid in a clown costume who stabs someone and she dies. That could be extremely stupid or funny yeah. or come off unintentionally comical, and it is blood-chilling. So yeah. they they stick the landing in by taking a big risk, and I think that's part of the reason that you're drawn so into the movie. And it's also, it it does so much. I love this scene, okay? And I love every scene in this movie because this scene serves the function of, like, not only, like, making you... It almost feels like you're complicit in this because it's a point of view, but in addition to that, it builds a sort of legend in your mind about Mike Myers prior to him really being an object of real terror for you. You sort of see, like, this foundational cornerstone of his psyche, and it's just... it's chilling you know um and then later on when he escapes i think like the bookend scene to this is when he escapes the insane asylum and again there's something that's like not human about this guy it it depersons him in a way that makes him an object of pure terror so i i i was mesmerized by this scene yeah Uh, it's it's But yeah, I, I, you know, I'm okay. getting into that other scene there. I mean, it's, I, I like, I like the kind of unnatural element of Mike Myers, the way that's yeah. handled in this movie. It's like he's never overtly, like, it's not like they, they give him any special set of powers or yeah. anything, but he is just this dark force. Yeah. You know, uh, but I, I mean, by a defined set of powers, it's just he does these unnatural things, but it's, it's a really, you know, because I mean, a lot of some slasher movies can just feel like okay, this is just a bad suspense movie following the slasher film formula. But this, uh, I don't know. It's just, it just, I just like the way they 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 handle that. Well, I I think that um, number one, I like how there really is no sense of motivation behind the killing. Do you know what I mean? There's it's not explained. At least in this movie, it's not really clear. You know, you can maybe glean some motivation from context if you want to, but you're just putting that on there. And I, I feel that that's one of the things that makes it so terrifying is the fact that there's no real, uh, you know, throughout the movie, but starting with this scene, there's there's no real explanation offered for why he kills the sister. And then when you actually see him, you're half expecting the kid to be really messed up looking or something. Do you know what I mean? But it's just a normal looking kid. Like, I mean, he's got a weird expression, 
for sure. But he doesn't have any physical outward signs of his evil when we first see him, like you do with somebody like Jason or some other type of, you know, slasher uh, killer. And I, I think that also makes it a little bit more horrifying because he's just this, he's he's a normal kid, apparently, who's just sort of messed up somehow to I me mean, like the the problem seems to be inside of his brain more than yeah. anything else so um you know and obviously they do play there is some ambiguity there as the movie advances but i think from the beginning you kind of start with that uh i don't know i, I just the, the again the fact that uh he's just a normal looking kid and then later in the movie when when uh when laurie unmasks him briefly the face kind of like it's the same face but something's off now like time do you know i mean he's not again he's not disfigured like jason is disfigured but there's something off in his expression as an adult do you know what i mean I, I don't know quite what it is i tried to freeze the frame even to to identify it and the most i could get is that one of his lids is a little bit close closed or puffy do you know what i mean which might not have even been intentional that could have just been the guy playing him bumped his eye because you really only see his face briefly. Um, I think but... that's actually... It's weird. I forgot that scene was in there. That little brief reveal. Yeah. I completely forgot about it. And then seeing yeah. it, it was actually shocking because his face is just blank. Like, there's no expression. There's no, yeah. like... There's nothing. It's just like a porcelain mask. So when he puts the mask back on, it's it's a really weird effect. It goes yeah. it goes towards that characterization of him as this kind of like force of nature. Yeah, it's, it's like the yeah. opposite of the Phantom of the Opera unmasking with Long Cheney, <laughs> where that like reveals so much about the character, and this unmasking reveals very little. It's just well, I think yeah. I think what it does is like the mask. I mean, he needs the mask. It's not like he's putting the mask on so you aren't repulsed by him. It's yeah. like he like it's part of his insanity that he. He only feels comfortable when he's got this mask on yeah. of some kind. So it's, uh, it's you know, it's 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 like a weird fragility of his to an extent. That... Yeah, and it's I mean, and he and we do even see him put a mask. Like when he kills his sister, we see him put the mask on, not that mask, but a mask on before he kills mm -hmm. her. So it's obviously part of his whole mo as well. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and and getting into um something Joel had said at the start of this, which I thought was interesting, was the character motivations and how they get you to care for the characters the the babysitters that are being stalked throughout this um one of the things i was kind of observing this time around was just how these are not like like you could look at these characters and say they're very thin because one of the characters personality traits can pretty much be summed up in her use of the word totally you know the the other <laughs> one the other one um is uh you know like the other friend is her personality is you know, she's a little bit, she's got like a, I don't know what you would call it. Like there's like a spark of bitchiness or gumption to her. Do you know what I mean? Um, she, she is a hot mess and the mess makes her very endearing. Yeah. That's, that was Annie, right? Annie is, I think the, and, and, uh, uh, Linda, what is it? Linda Vanderclock is the, um, the totally girl. And, and then Lori is kind of the one with like her head on her shoulders a little bit, you know, but, but tough, but, you know, but, but they basically, you know, they don't, they're not, they're, they're not like these really, really deep characters, the way that they're presented. Um, they do feel very real to an extent. Like but I that's, said, they don't, they don't, they don't feel like they need to like embellish or make them complicated. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, these feel like 
teenage girls from that, that era. That's that's what I was getting at. Is that if yeah. you meet teenagers, they're not that interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like they're they <laughs> you know when I was a teenager, I wasn't that interesting, even if I thought I was. And so it's sometimes movies go too far in giving uh-huh. deep characterization to very young people. And so I yeah. think it's it works here, especially when you know you know that this girl just wants to go and meet her boyfriend. That's her big everything she's trying yeah. to do, and you're you're perfectly you know like willing to go with her on that journey and and the same with um uh you know with the other one and then with uh you know with with Lori it's it's a little bit more a little more complicated i think she has probably the most complex motivation in the movie but like yeah, she's also got weird things too like having a james ensor poster which is a really strange poster <laughs> for a teenage girl to have it's like wow okay you're into 19th century abstract weird weirdo grotesque artist but they, right. but but they said they, they, she says in the movie you know that the boys are afraid of her because she's they think she's too smart so yeah you know i'm not saying it's impossible either yeah. but it was just like something that jumped out at me that i never noticed watching this movie before mainly because i've only ever seen it on garbage vhs before but i'm like oh. <laughs> but i guess what i'm getting at is they do a really good job of giving these characters like very mundane but understandable motivations that are kind of driving all of the like a lot of the movie is just you kind of hanging out with these characters yeah as they're babysitting do you know what i mean and so and it's it's actually pretty enjoyable during those parts where it's just them driving around town and smoking a joint or whatever it's still like it's still this (laughs) You know, the whole thing that like, joint was the size of her fist, too. That was like a Cheech and Chong joint, man. I they knew how to roll them in the well, it was Cheech and Chong times, you know. So. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it just, it's just a satisfying level of just giving normality. And like Lori, the whole plot kind of subplot with Lori and that guy, I don't think we ever see that she's got a crush on that her friend yeah. tells and. You know, and so it's just yeah, just these little little dramas that are really important to them. And and it all could have just fallen, you know, fallen apart. Like it could, it would be so easy to not want to be there while they're making soup or whatever it was she was making <laughs> in the kitchen. You know what I mean? It's it, but it's just all it's somehow they managed to make that all engaging. Um, yeah. And I and I think it works. And I think again, a lot of what makes it work is how familiar it is, just how recognizable it is to to some to to the viewer. Um, yeah, the other thing is too. I well, mean, and... Jamie Lee Curtis is really good in this movie too. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. It's like she is just this completely engaging character from beginning to end, which uh, adds a lot to the movie. Because I mean, going back to the I hate slasher movie things. Most slasher movies do not have that going for them in any way yeah. whatsoever. There, there is something <laughs> very different about like these characters are similar to a lot of the characters you get in later slasher movies but there's something really different too they 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 it it it, and and i think a lot of it just comes down to the people that they they hired to to, yeah you know even like like uh like 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 you said uh um you know uh the 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 jamie jamie lou curtis does a really you know great job as 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 the lead character but but even the other ones you know even if they're even if they're playing somewhat vacuous characters at times, they still have kind of like a, a charm to them that I feel is absent in a lot of yes. the later movies. Well, that and this movie is very patient and, and takes a lot of time to give you those endearing scenes. But also remember, 
there's a tension too because the whole movie is haunted by the presence of Mike Myers yeah. established very strong early in the movie and he's always lurking at the yes. periphery of this one so even when we're spending mundane time with them we are still on that's a good point for this this monster to strike yeah because he's always in the background just kind of you know and and you're right they do introduce him very early like you know uh, laurie sees him early on in the movie but it's you know it's not clear especially in this sort of like you know pre-awareness of stalker time period you know how concerned she should be about you know, a guy in a mask that's just hanging out by the bushes. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not on Halloween. On Halloween, yeah, yeah, that's a very crucial detail. Um, you know, he can kind of he and and also on Halloween, people do creepy things just to kind of get a rise out of folks. So it's not it's not a it's not inconceivable that it's like one of her friends from high school just kind of trying to spook her. So you know. Well, that and there's no like the etherealness of the character is alarming too because he has this ability to kind of vanish because yeah. he does that in the bush scene then later on when she sees him outside of her window he she's just there's this one take where she's just looking out the window and she can kind of see him through these sheets that are on the line and then she's still looking it cuts back to her and then it cuts back to where she's looking and he's not there yeah so this guy is like the master of this disappearing he, act. He really does that a lot. Me. He does that a lot too throughout the movie. He does. Uh, it's it's a signature thing, and it helps to make him more than just a person that can hurt you. And it's and, and it's he's not almost like. Oh, go ahead. Well, he's almost like inexorable. Yeah. You know, he's more like a ghost in that regard. And it's kind of the opposite of what Jason does, because Jason does this thing where he appears out of nowhere and get you and there's almost like the joke that he's got like the tunnels under the thing or he can teleport and i think in one movie they actually had tunnels i think in one of the remakes or something but the uh the with him it's it's that he vanishes do you know what i mean it's like he you know and and that kind of adds to his the sense that he's invulnerable too especially in later scenes where you know like the last scene of the movie and stuff like that um yeah he gets messed up in that scene yeah. But I also like how they how the dialogue ties him to this idea of the boogeyman. Do you know what I mean? And I like how a lot of the, I, and I just enjoy the dialogue where they're talking about him and where they're talking about what he represents between the discussion about the boogeyman with the kid and Doctor Loomis's discussion about you know when he's talking to the police officer and he's telling him how like you know I you know at first I was trying to you know you know reach this kid and then when I got there I just wanted to keep him behind bars because I re realized it's just evil whatever's in there is just evil and it's like this melodramatic like really anxious you know pensive performance that he has that just I I think is one of the things that really makes it's between him and and Jamie Lee Curtis those two things I think really in terms of the actor's performances, hold, help hold the well, movie I, together. I don't want to undercut the guy who is behind the Shatner mask, though, because, like, I don't know, is he in anything else? Because well, his physical act. So, so here's incredible the thing. In this movie. So it's not always just one guy. Um, and, and, and apparently, uh, like, in the credits, there's, like, three people credited. But they were saying, like, even... Um, even Deborah Hill might have actually been Mike Myers at one point in the movie, just because everybody was kind of taking on the role of him. But I think it was it was Nick Castle who I believe did it for free because he was uh, friends with John Carpenter. Um, but then when you see the shot of his face, it's somebody else. And uh, and again, oh, that's they, scary. yeah. But 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 I think I think a lot of the physical performance that you're keying in on was Nick Castle. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that that's yeah, the case we're we're 
we're going to have to credit him kind of in the same uh, slipshod way, I guess, the movie sort of credits him for what is probably a composite character. Um, but I, I think it's not an unreasonable thing to say the majority of the shots is probably Nick Castle's physical acting. And in the majority of the shots, he has an incredible presence. And his sense of timing with the movements, I again want to point out, it's easy to make that into comedy timing. I don't know how many takes some of these took. Because uh, I'm certain Carpenter was behind the camera like, nope, that was funny, do it again, but wait, another three heartbeats, you know. Uh, but they eventually nail it, though. And, uh, yeah, and so um, I, I guess the the other thing about that, too, is that he's so, like, he, like, again, you compare him to, like, Jason, and Jason's, like, this really big, hulking figure. And, I, and one of the things I like about Mike Myers, at least in this movie, is he's kind of lean. He's not... He's not like a linebacker. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's certainly not small, but he just doesn't feel like. Uh, um, he's not freakishly large. Yeah, he's kind of a normal guy. Do you know what I mean? There's something very normal about him. Like even when he runs up on the roof of the car, there's something really like there's something weird about him, but also something very normal about him. He just like he he doesn't look like a. He, 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 again, it's just like okay, there's just a guy climbing up on the car. Do you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. it, it, I I I. I and a, and a lot of movies try to emphasize just how much this person isn't like a normal person. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and well, the normality of him is disguising something animal and evil inside. Because when he when he is killing people, he's superhumanly strong. He's like lifting up the whole weight of a grown man with one hand and things like that. So, and like the way he runs up out of the night onto the roof of the car, it's reminiscent of like hitting a deer. Which yeah, happens a yeah. lot in Missouri, I'm afraid. But like, it's reminiscent of that where there's something like there's something weird about, about it, it for sure. Like that scene, it's like it looks animalistic or something strange about the way he's climbing. But at the same time, when you look at him, it's like that's a normal guy. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the right the yeah. person. What you're seeing is normal. It's there's but it's a disguise, and that's what's unsettling. Yeah. I think about Mike Myers. Another unsettling aspect of this character is that the, it, much like Doctor Loomis, you come to see something inside the character that's much more frightening than his appearance suggests um i love that <laughs> i love that the movie tells you a legend about him and then it proves it to you how, how many movies do that it's no. incredible uh what do you guys th- what do you guys think of the music to the movie because that's something that often gets commented on so we probably should you know get a little bit into it uh i mean like it's it's pretty much perfect it's iconic it's cr- creepy uh it's restrained and as i recall uh john carpenter is really famous for like obsessing over music like he's not like a steven spielberg type who will like bring someone in who has an orchestra he's like no nah, no nah, just bang it out whatever it's wallpaper you know i don't know if so that's it's weird true, that it... i mean like on the thing when he had ennio morricone come in and he uh gave him directions on what kind of notes he could use and everything i don't know he can get kind of maybe it varies from movie to movie perhaps it it might because i'm thinking of like escape to new york where like the the soundtrack and that just kind of sits there you know um though that is the kind of movie that it's like the thing and halloween like are very atmospheric and escape from new york is its own thing (laughs) like i like i definitely don't i don't don't remember the music when i think of escape from new york but i remember the music when i think of the thing or halloween like the those are um but yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, my understanding is, number one, John Carpenter wrote the music, but I think he might have done it in um, consultation or 
with I don't know if it was with help or with just transcribing or getting I- musical ideas, but he did contact some kind of uh, music professor to uh, to I think assist him. But he's credited as the the writer of the music, and it really is just basically like two notes the theme. It's just that like da 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 and and then there's like some other you know low end notes going on, and and then it shifts key and it does the same thing and then it shifts key again does the same thing so you yeah. know it's it's let's, yeah once again it's 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 used with restraint being a, a subtle one but it's interesting how it's used in certain scenes too like just scenes of kids out trick or treating mm-hmm. and stuff you still have this sinister music even though there's nothing overtly yeah. sinister going on at all just to kind of keep the tone of the movie going and it does and, oh go ahead go ahead go ahead i was going to say you know like in a lot of movies you, you have this alternating kind of things. There's no, there's no joyful attempt to make the scenes of kids trick or treating, especially joyous and like, yeah. Oh, like in a, a Spielberg film where it's like, okay, yeah. now we're gonna have some jaunty music for a while. What, it kind of tries to keep the same tone. What I, what I actually, what was interesting is they actually do have like the sister Lori and a bunch of other people do sing songs. And those songs are like, they would be joyous. Like they would be in a major key. But I think there's a drone note that's usually being played in the background that makes huh. it not. I, I, I can't say 100% in all of them, but in the case with the sister, she's singing that song when he's going up to murder her. And the, the theme music to Halloween stops and they just play a drone note. And then you hear the clock chiming. And those two things make it sound so sinister. It's like a contrast between, you know, the, the childlike singing and the, you know, just this eerie drone note. Um, and I feel like whatever they were doing in later scenes must have achieved that because they, they, it definitely is like you're saying, they do not go into Spielberg territory of making, of putting you into the headspace of these joyous children. You, in fact, a lot of the movie is shot from Mike Myers perspective, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. the, uh, it's the first perspective we get, I think. So, um, yeah, I don't know, but I, I think that the music is interesting. I think the music is, uh, it's memorable. It's very simple, which you could say is like a, a critique of it because it isn't that complex, but there's something extremely memorable about it. It's something about that staccato stabbing style of the of the note. You know, it's just this, that, that a constant hammering of that note really fits with the overall. Well, there's, something, there's something almost panic-inducing about it, you know? Yeah. It, it's alarming. It, 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 it it's kind of like giving your heart instructions to beat faster yeah. because you're in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. And, and so, yeah, it just, it just works really well. And, um, and even the stuff like later in the movie where they're just playing like two dissonant notes of the piano here and there, you know, like that stuff also it's, it's all so simple, but it works. Um, so uh, one thing I want, and maybe, maybe I'm getting too deep here. If, if I am, just tell me and we'll move on because I don't want to like... No, man, I, dive. Well, and I don't have any depth to add to this. It's more of a question. So, if, you know, uh, but they... You want us to dig for you. I want you guys to dig us. for me. Well, you guys are smart. So I figured <laughs> you guys the are... the bathosphere, yeah. Adam. <laughs> but but uh, there's that whole scene where they talk about fate, right? And they're contrasting the fate of, uh, was it, Samuel and somebody else. I, I forget. I forget, uh, I forget who else they say that. But, but, but the... the the version of fate that they kind of settle on in the classroom is is that it's immovable and never changes and mm. that it's, you know, physically personified in nature somehow. And so I thought that, you know, I assume that that must be 
in reference to Mike Myers that 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 Myers somehow is 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 meant to be fate in the you know in some way unless that discussion is a total throwaway because it is just a group you know something that they're talking about in the classroom when Mike Myers is hanging outside of the window there um huh yeah I don't know I mean it, I, I I'm trying to think of a way to to rationalize it because obviously part of the function of the scene is to just remind us that Lori's smart she's the smart one yeah but but yeah, I don't. But they're know. talking so about the fate, is... and then you see him. Do you know what I mean? And they're talking yeah. about the personification of fate. But my whole thing is, I'm like, but okay, but what does that mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't well, crack. He it. gets thwarted at the end by not being able to kill Laurie. So it's like the idea of the movie setting up that he cannot be. I mean, maybe it's supposed to set a fatalistic set, you know, mindset to us, so that we mm. think he can't be. So it's, I'd say, more than it being a factual truth, it's trying to set up a theme in your head. That makes, you know, it, which makes failure seem more inevitable. So, okay, I don't know. That's my 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 scramble scrambled answer there. That's a good scramble. I mean, I think that you're right. It, it gives us a sense of inevitability, which is really important to the Mike Myers character because when you're in his clutches, in every case but Lori's, you die. Mm-hmm. I, mean, yeah. I mean, everyone else he touches, he kills. And the important thing about the the evasion of Lori in the very last scene is that like yeah they shoot this guy six times stab him in the stomach and in the eye with a clothes hanger and drop him off the roof of a house and then he's gone he's gone we don't know where he went he's still at large he still wants to kill you and the knitting don't forget the knitting needle too the knitting needle to the neck oh knitting needle to the neck yeah Yeah. so like (laughs) he has been pushed past the point that a human being should be able to survive and mm-hmm. he's still the boogeyman. Well, so he, it's not like you've escaped your fate. You've just delayed it. So there are other things I want to talk about, <laughs> yeah. but let's talk about that last scene because I think that's it's one of the best parts of the movie. One of the things I love about it is even though that obviously should kill a normal man, there's enough there's enough sort of like, well, he could have gotten shot in non-vital areas. There's enough doubt that you're sort of like held in this state of, is this guy a normal person or is there something else going on? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, they don't answer that for you. They give you just enough room to doubt any, which way it could go. And I, that's, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at way earlier in the podcast where I was talking about like, yeah, it's just, there's this uncertainty with his, what his abilities hmm. are. Like I said, there definitely seems to be some supernatural element to it, but they never, it's not like, Freddy Krueger, where they spell out, it's like, oh, da da da. These are the rules. There are yeah. there there are no rules ever specified. It just it's just which which makes him scarier because we just don't don't quite understand. Yeah, we don't know. Is it is it just that he's it's just this incomprehensible human evil, or is there something deeper there? And and it's all and the fact that Doctor Loomis is so terrified of his own patient in the way that yeah. he is, like like the scene when he gets away in the car. Loomis is relieved when he escapes because he's like the evil's gone. Like he he just he didn't even like the idea of being in yeah. the same space as this evil freely roaming around. Well, so I kind I kind of like the fact Loomis is like this character from some he's like some really high strung character from a Hammer horror movie, yeah. and everyone else in the movie is a totally grounded nineteen seventy nine normal person. It's just it 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 shouldn't work, but it it does. Yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> tremendous, and that but also in that last scene, like. One of the things that I've always thought now, I, now again, I say this as somebody who, who appreciated the sequels and liked the sequels and, and still enjoys watching them. But 
there's a part of me that's like, you know, if they never made a sequel to this movie, it would have been so much better as a total film. Do you know what I mean? Like, if this is where it ended, it ends with Mike Myers disappearing mm-hmm. and and with uh, with Laurie Strode crying in the corner and Dr. Loomis kind of just having that look on his face. You know, there's something yeah. really, I don't know, just something uh, unsettling and, and, and uh, it's not a victorious ending. Do you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah. And, and I, and it, and it also is kind of like a perfect ending for that, but it's the perfect way for the, the movie to end. I, you know, so the, I've always had this, well, not always, but ever since I first saw it, I've always had this feeling that it, uh, that, that's where the series probably should have ended that it would have well, been better keep in mind too that halloween 2 is not a direct sequel it was the season of the witch one which was a whole different kind of story no that was halloween 3 that was halloween oh, 3 was... yeah halloween oh, 2 yeah you're right yeah halloween 2 yeah. so halloween 2 starts the moment he gets up and walks away like that's yeah you're right um, you're right but i was getting those two because as i as i watched the halloween movies a little later i i i did watch them out of order so yeah no, and that's and actually, I think Season of the Witch might have been, because I was when did that come out? Eighty five Season of the Witch. That's um, oh, actually it was uh eighty two. Was it eighty two? I remember that movie coming out. That was the first Halloween movie that I remember being aware of was Season of the Witch, because um, I was born in seventy six. Um, but uh, Halloween two, I mean, it, it's a really good movie. It's not bad. It's just that one is so good that I'd be willing to sacrifice all the subsequent Halloween movies to create this pure film that ends in a wonderful way. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Uh, Actually, I will preserve my theory um, by, by, by having quickly looked things up. That is, that is Hallow basically Halloween two Carpenter and Hill had nothing to do with Halloween two. So that's like a complete off, off the radar. When, when Carpenter and Hill came back as producers, they did Halloween three because they, they want. They thought. Well, we don't want to reuse the same character. They want basically wanted the Halloween movies to be an anthology series, basically. Like these are a bunch of movies. Every movie will be about Halloween, but they won't be much. Rather than having it be every movie is about Mike Myers, that was their attempt to do that, which didn't catch on with audiences who wanted more Mike Myers. But uh, yeah, so it's, uh, um, I'm trying to remember. I I could have sworn that that Carpenter was involved in this. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's just that I don't want us to get this wrong on the fly. If um, okay, uh, I'll, I'll double check my facts here while I well what, while uh, go on. But I but like I said, it, it's interesting. You know, with not wanting yeah. more of that. That that you know, it was Carpenter and Hill that were the producers on the movie where they're like, we're just going to make this an anthology series. We're not going to keep returning to the same story over and over. Well, yeah, the, the, so, so, and I looked it up, they were the writers for part two. Um, and there were some, like, so one of the big, oh, yeah. one of the big things that happens in part two is that it's revealed that Laurie Strode is the, the younger sister of Mike Myers, Jeremy, which really changes things. But, but I think the, the, my understanding is when they made Halloween, they were not planning on making a sequel originally. I think they were just planning on making it as a one-off. And then when yeah. they came back and they rewrote it, you know, they were contending with all of these other movies that had now come out after Halloween. And they and so, uh, you know, again, I don't want to get too into the sequels because we're really focused on the first movie. Oh, but yeah. but um, but and, and again, this, Halloween two as as slasher sequels go, it's great. 
I just think that it still isn't really as necessary as just having a part one for this year. I think I think I think part one yeah. is stronger if nothing follows it, if that makes sense. But I'm yeah. perfectly content to gobble up all the sequels. Um, <laughs> but that's uh, the thing. Okay, so admittedly the sequels are fun, but they're kind of the they're sort of intellectual junk food. You know, because there's nothing that will kill horror faster than explaining more details about it. The ambiguity yes. of the first ending is what makes it so frightening and makes it last so yeah. long. You could watch this movie in isolation and it would haunt you the rest of your life. But after yep. you see Mike Myers coming back from the dead and getting unmasked and shot and blah, all the stuff that happens to him in the subsequent films, you're like, okay, I'm kind of sick of this dude. Well, he's not scary. He's just a guy with much more defined powers and, and he and therefore inhabits the narrower part of your fears and your well, mind and i feel like there's just something really powerful about like the the last scene where you see jamie lee curtis crying like that like there's that's mm -hmm. just a real sort of wow what becomes of this person and the problem that the sequel has is it kind of gives you an answer to that do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. obviously her character continues yeah. in later movies but you know it, it, and it, and it, and it, if i remember part two kind of ends in a more triumphant way like i think she explodes him basically if i recall or burns him or something to that effect and, uh, and the the newest sequel they did a couple of years back is kind of like that too as i recall yeah, so. I haven't seen the reboots of Halloween, so I don't know how the reboots go. Uh, I I, I saw the reboot of, of Friday the Thirteenth, and I was like, "Why did I? I didn't." No, no, need I, this. I'm not. I'm not talking about the Rob Zombie ones, which came out. This is the other soft reboot they did more more recently. Yeah, no, I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any of the reboots. Okay. I haven't seen any of them. Um, keep in mind, like my my pop culture awareness really starts to trickle off around 2005 or so that night i just kind of yeah. you know um you know that, yeah that... on the on the the thing with you know as far as the information from the sequels not to go too deep into it but yeah having this the whole sister thing is just annoying from the standpoint that in this movie it's like he's basically following her because she's the one that drops off the keys yes. under the mat, which is, yeah. which is scarier because it's just like such a random weird reason to have a murderer yeah. stalking you. And she's just, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like having her be the sister is, it's, it's just too much coincidence. Well, the fact that she is the sister and she drops off the keys, everything is just like, ah. well, and I think, I, I don't know if this is exactly what John Carpenter said, but I think he said something like, that decision was the product of like a late night. I almost want to say of cocaine, but I could be I could be projecting my own fantasies of what how John Carpenter writes movie scripts onto things. But but I feel like it definitely. I got the impression that there was there were a lot of external factors that <laughs> motivated that that story decision. Um, and and again, I mean, I think for the sequel it works fine. It's just that you know. Uh, uh, you know, I, I really liked, I think the first movie is such, such a good movie that that can get lost when, when it becomes part of this franchise. Do you know what I mean? That's the, that's, a lot of horror movies have that issue. Yeah. yeah but like, like Jaws is another one that has that issue. Friday the 13th. Yeah. But I feel like Friday the 13th got better. Yeah. But, Jaws was a 
horrible drop off in quality. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I feel like has a lot of real inconsistency. Yeah. I sort of feel like the only one that's immune to that is Friday the Thirteenth, which I feel like gets better as it goes on. Yeah, that's they one. Just sort of add more and more to him. Yeah, it, and that's always been like a cash grab. That movie, that one was always because that. I mean, they were basically trying to rip off Halloween. That's why it's Friday the Thirteenth. Let's take a yeah. scary day of the year and make a movie out of it. You know, what I mean? and and then and then people get killed with knives. Yeah, that's that's what people yeah. want. And the first Friday the Thirteenth is in the same way that Halloween is. It's it's very much where you're kind of just hanging out with these counselors a lot of the time yeah. too. Yeah. So it's very a very and, it's, got, it's got a surprisingly grounded element to it. And, and Friday the Thirteenth is a lot more about the kills too. It's a lot more about yes. like the special effects, like the Savini special effects, and you know just like you know the you know, the arrow going through the back of the guy's <laughs> neck, all that stuff. And and Halloween, the first Halloween is you know, like the music is a very restrained approach to the gory aspects of it. There are killings, but they're not, you know, like the, the scene where she's killed in the car is disturbing because it looks real. It doesn't look like it. And it doesn't look like, like a lot of the stuff in Friday the 13th looks real, but grotesque. And is like, you're kind of there for like the money shot. Do you have, there's like a porn quality yeah. to it. Whereas That's... in, yeah, in, in... I would like to point out there's a sort of porn quality to the gore in this, even though it's restrained. There's something almost ejaculatory about whenever he stabs someone and blood spurts out of them at the camera. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'm reading too far into it. His first kill is after his uh, sexual encounter that he witnesses his sister having. So there's something to that there. I don't feel well, like... I don't know. I think Well, we could have a whole conversation about that because I feel like... I think that's a totally valid opinion. It's one that's... Uh, it's held widely i don't i don't know like because there's there's that and there's also the aspect that like in, in the the convention and slasher movies especially since this one is the people who are unchaste are the ones who get killed right like the one the teenagers having sex are the ones who die um mm-hmm. but i know that john carpenter has said that that was not something that they were it's, thinking about when they made this it movie. doesn't line up with this movie because i mean there's the one girl who's you know kind of get get together with the boyfriend but the other girl there's nothing there's nothing well, to back i know up it, at all it, there's no moral dimension on the part no. of the killer it, for yeah. him there, there's a sexual element to it but it's not that they are sexual so they must die it's that this is his version yeah. of sexuality which is really creepy and horrible but i but again i think that's I think that's valid in a way, but I also think that's the viewers putting something onto it. Because... Well, yeah, because I could I could also read it as well, just, we might just, be. It, I mean, it could also be reviewed as just some kind of, of like you could also take it like phobia based almost like women are somehow mm-hmm. challenging and disturbing to him, and he has to destroy them. I mean, so sure. it could. It, what's that? I said sure. I, we we yeah. might be just desperately trying to put a human angle on an inhuman character which again is valid and frightening yeah yeah because because i mean in that first scene obviously with the sister you that's an angle one could take but at the same time it could simply be he just doesn't like that his sister is giving somebody else attention it could be any number of things i i feel Mm -hmm. like he's a blank enough character Mm -hmm. and and i don't feel like personally i don't find the stabbings or the killings to be all i mean obviously there is a proximity to sex with a lot of these killings but I didn't find the the stabbings to be that sexual. I just I found them to be instantly understandable because everybody can sort of imagine what it's like to be stabbed. Do you know what I mean? It's like a it's something you don't want to have happen to you. Do you know what I mean? So it's a it, it's 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 a lot more 
of a it pro- provokes a much stronger reaction than seeing somebody bludgeoned to death in a movie or even strangled to death in a movie. Because um, the, the stranglings are pretty horrible in this movie too, though. Yeah. And strangling and stabbing are the two methods that Myers uses to kill people, and both of them. There's an assault quality to them that bleeds over into that Freudian territory. But see, I would say Uh, that those are just really personal ways to kill somebody because they're the kind of ways where you have to like you. It's not like shooting somebody from a distance. It's not even like quickly whacking them over the head. It's you have to be there and experience. You know what I mean? There's like a. Oh, yeah. You're immersed in the moment of your death. And and actually, it's a shooting because what serves for our white knight, the, the balding middle-aged chain smoker, uses a gun to try to smite the evil. Yeah. You know, there's something impersonal and functional about killing someone in that way. It's like, yeah. this is part of my duty. So, uh, I, I'm not, and again, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think that it doesn't have to be read from a sexual angle. I think it could be sure. read from a, a different angle. Um, I think once you get to Friday the 13th and stuff, then the, that stuff definitely is harder right. and harder it, to a, ignore. Uh there's a different, like I, like I was saying before, there's a moral dimension to the killing at that point, where it's almost like you're saving this, the 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 chaste and you're you're smiting those who sin and fornicate and blah blah. So that's yeah. there's something very different in the fabric of the the way those movies approach what they're doing. Yeah, uh, this one doesn't have a moral dimension. There's a, a black vacuum in the morality of this movie, which is just replaced by hostility and terror. Well, and that's the other interesting thing about this film is it's just he's described as pure evil. He's not, um, you know, he, you know, and I know in later movies motivations have been given to him. I feel that anytime they've done that, it it makes mm-hmm. it, it it doesn't enhance the film really. It, it takes away from it usually. Um, it, it's it, it could almost be hokey because he's just you know again dr loomis is just like he's just evil that's it there's no there's no further explanation than that um it's almost a but, 1950s explanation for a bad guy too which I, there's something out of time about that you know if you talk about a modern psychologist a psychiatrist going like nope there's no psych there's no scientific explanation this being is evil well that's well, it that- Guy. That goes back to what I was saying about his character. He's like out of an old horror movie. Yeah. In this in this set movie clearly set in 1979. That's yeah. part of it. His whole but, this is evil, pure evil. But it's what makes him timeless because if they yeah. had if they had given him some psychobabble explanation from 1978, that yeah. explanation wouldn't have held for 20 years. It would have become old fashioned psychobabble. Do you know what I mean? And and it would have been so specific, even if it wasn't, even if it was some term that stuck around. And so, I don't know, I, I like that you're just evil. That's it, you know, and then you can project whatever, you know, you could project whatever psychiatric disorder you want onto that. Do you know what I mean? You can project whatever religious explanation you want onto that. There's, there's... Well, I think the important thing is that he isn't giving a real theory, not even a 1950s psychology yeah. theory. Right? He's, he's not giving any scientific theory That's what all, I mean. That's keeps it a mystery. Yeah, that's what I mean. But, but what I'm saying is you watching it with your, you know, modern mind, you can yeah. give it that. You can say, okay, he's probably kind of like a psycho killer of some kind. And maybe he has, the, you know, but it's never specified. It, it, it could be that. He could be possessed by the devil. Maybe he could be some... You know, maybe this guy has no soul. Who knows? You know, like, you know, he, uh, it, it, it's, it, it, it's kind of whatever you want it to be. Um, 
and I guess along those same lines, we should probably talk about the look of Mike Myers because that's also very iconic. In the in the original screenplay, it was uh, called The Shape. That was uh, you know, and, yeah. Um, and so he is just kind of this like lurking figure in the you know, uh, you know. In fact, that's most of what he does in the movie. Really, is just kind of like looks at people from a distance. Um, you know, you know what 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 do you, I don't know? Do you have any thoughts on the on the appearance of Michael Myers. I know we kind of touched on it briefly with the acting, but I mean the physical appearance. Mm. I mean, like I said, I, yeah. I, I, the whole, the whole mask thing we already kind of touched on. So I've kind of said what I have to say there. But, okay. uh, <laughs> I, well, I, I kind of like the, that there's a thematic uh, unity between his characterization as this tabula rasa and the fact that his mask is just this kind of blank, featureless, human, yeah. expressionless face. It's like the mask is an externalization of that emptiness of him. So. And, it's a, and it's a William Shatner mask. I don't know if we've mentioned that yet, but it was... A, it was we a, can't mention it enough. It's yeah. such a great piece of Yeah, it's, it's, it's a William Shatner mask that they just like basically painted over and like took off some of the features and made more blank, um, you know, which is, you know, interesting. Um, one of the things here's what I've always found interesting about this mask is basically Friday the 13th slowly became Jason slowly became Michael Myers. Do you know what I mean? That was sort of the, the, by the time you get to the hockey mask with Jason in Friday the 13th, I feel like you're essentially replicating the look of Mike Myers. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it is, it's a blank white face with two eyes in it. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and so that's, I think that says a lot about how powerful the imagery of Halloween is. That that mm -hmm. the that the the franchise that was sort of trying to rip it off starts out with the mom, and then it's Jason with a bag over his head, and then he eventually finally gets a hockey mask Back and puts the mask. Yeah, and then it, yeah. It, um, so uh, so there is some. I just think there's something really, you know, it, it's it, there's something very classic about it, and it's it's a little unfortunate by the time I was you know, in middle school or high school, that it had kind of been appropriated by the Friday the 13th franchise. And that was sort of the, you know yeah. what I mean? Well, I, I, something I was thinking of too. I mean, watching this movie without back in the day when slasher movies weren't a cliche, I mean, everything about this, I mean, it, it already feels pretty fresh going back and watching it, even knowing everything, but it's like, this would have been amazing to watch with, none of the conventions yes. in your head like not going ooh here's the part where the killer is going to sit up you know and that <laughs> kind of thing it's yeah. like it just it just would have been fan it's like seeing it in a theater too yeah. like can you imagine like in 1979 watching this in the theater when he sat up i mean that would have been just fantastic to watch yeah oh <laughs> yeah actually I did watch this with a person who'd never seen it before last night, and oh, yeah? she straight up uh, said veto as soon as he did that. He, said, <laughs> he sits up and she's like, "Nope, veto that. Nope, can't have that." Why? Uh, why did she, now? Why did she say veto? She was very. Uh, that's that's new people slang for I don't like that a lot. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't. I I just want to make sure you I understood. must understand. This person is is still living and young and vibrant, unlike okay. me, who is the opposite of all of those things yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's you know you you're coming in so crisp and clear. It's it's really. <laughs> yeah, I keep forgetting that you're dead. Um, <laughs> I feel like we should be commenting on that more. It's so tragic. Uh, yeah, and, so far, audience yeah. forgets that too. It's yeah. increasingly awkward as eternity yeah. drags on. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I guess I guess you know. Hopefully, we can keep this line of communication going in upcoming episodes. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I don't know. Is there uh, is there anything? Yeah. Oh, there is one other detail I wanted to talk about. It probably won't lead to anything substantial, but they are playing the song "Don't Fear the Reaper" when they're smoking pot in the car. I don't know. I've always I've always kind of liked that little touch. I I, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's just kind of a. I don't know. There's something kind of darkly funny about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of cheesy, but it really, it's effectively cheesy. Yeah. And that was, when did, the, when did that song come out? Do we, uh, how close oh, to when this movie came out? Cause, cause that could also make that more of a hip reference if it was like really close to when the song actually was released. Um, but, uh, three years before okay so it's it was a little bit it was a little bit um well taking uh, movie production time into account and everything that's true that's true so it looks like joel joel did you have to to jinx it Uh. (laughs) you just had to jinx it oh actually it's two years sorry i was thinking i've been thinking halloween was 79 but it's 78 oh so two years isn't too bad yeah because like if you said if you factor in the production then you know so so yeah, so yeah, sorry. held by Satan for a second. It's cool. I I wriggled out of his icy grasp. It's actually super cold where he is. Dante nailed that part. That's uh, it's been a long time since I've read the Inferno, um, <laughs> but uh, so um, so yeah, so you know that's that's our discussion of of Halloween. I think um, uh, I think are we moving into Schlocktober after this, or are we going to try uh, to squeeze I, I one we more Halloween? Change gears and schlock it the hell up. Okay. Yep. All right. I'm uh, on board for the schlock. All right. We're going to have to figure out a way to do uh, Dracula because that was the one movie we didn't get to do <laughs> for Halloween, and I I really felt bad. I wanted to see that one. Uh, you know, we actually we'll, we'll get to could it. do that one next. Well, why don't we do it next? Because remember, it kind of rides the line. It's it's very like in your face and MTV ish. But it's so not it's schlocky. Though. Would you say it's schlocky? It's not, but it borders into it. I think. I think it's a good. It's a good. It's like it's point. like the transitional shot through the peacock feather into the train in the movie. It's that. It's the thing that's going to carry us into Schlocktober. Exactly. Um. <laughs> this is our awkward crossfade. Actually, apparently, I don't know if you saw the video I sent you, but that I, cross I did, that cross. Did you get to the part about the peacock feather? The... Oh, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's called the train. See. Oh, God. I never knew that. I never knew a peacock feather was called a train, and that makes that scene a lot more interesting. Um, I, I, I hate peacocks almost as much as I hate Canadians. I love peacocks. I think peacocks are great. I, I don't know. I just, I just, I, 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 I love that there is a bird that looks like a peacock that exists on Earth. To me, that is... Almost no, okay. like evidence like, of God. In, Do you know what I mean? It's I've, a, I've, watched in, a, I've, I've watched a peahen fight a bear before, so I, I, I kind of admire them. Wait, um, is a peahen a peacock? A female peacock. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Two they're, not, they're not as pretty as a, as a peacock. But uh, but they're twice as ferocious. Okay. Twice as ferocious. Uh, I, I, well, okay, so the reason I hate them is kind of personal. Whatever, I brought my infant son in a stroll alert to the zoo for the first time they had them just wandering around because they're generally docile but one jumped on the edge of the stroller and caught at him and terrified him oh my so god still to this day well, uncomfortable well, around peacocks we, so we're gonna, i had to gonna, swear to I'll give, my mortal enemies um I'll, I'll give my zoo story which is i i took my nephew to a zoo and he was about three and 
Uh, they they also let the uh, peacocks roam around. There was a peahen with a with a train of of about six baby little pea chicks, I guess they're called. And they decided, since they had the free run of the place, to go into the bear enclosure. <laughs> <laughs> There's crossing across, you know. My, my nephew and I are just like watching these bears, and they, they just start walking across the scene. And from the background, just, just in a, you know, slasher killer style, this bear just <laughs> ominously starts walking up and just starts snacking, just putting his head down like one by one, chomping down on these pea Whoa. chicks and so the, the peahen just turns around and just attacks this bear head on and he's just like oh you can have the last few i'm i'm good and kind of wandered off that's uh, I'm already so, full yeah. so i i got you know i mean for brains walking into the uh bear enclosure they kind of lose out on brains but for for pluck you know it's like you know you're gonna fight a bear that's that's something uh i can't quite match that but i can at least understand joel's uh, fear of some kind of bird-like creature because oh, we have yeah. a lot. Of, we have a lot of turkeys around here, a lot of wild turkeys. And uh, I used to do delivery. And when I was delivering in places like like one of the places I used to do delivery work in was was a town called Beverly, which is kind of a big city, but it, it half of it is like uh, not rural. That's the wrong word, but it's very. There's a lot of woods. There's a lot of there's a lot of spaces where turkeys can live. And, and a lot of the places I had to deliver to you around this time of year, I'd go to, to, to walk up to the apartment door and there'd just be like these turkeys in front of the door. And, <laughs> and it would be like, okay, what do I, what do I do? Like they, like they have pretty nasty looking claws and they're bigger than you think. And they're temperamental. So, um, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I never actually got into a, a fight with the turkey but i had plenty of stare downs where i was like what am i going to do with this food i need to deliver to these people that are on the other side and i've had many situations where i was cut off from my car and kind of had to wait for the turkey to move and you know things like that so um so yeah the, if if peacocks are aggressive i could understand having a uh, dislike of them um but i just mean in terms of their physical appearance i you know i've always found them just striking animals uh, so, so anyways, the peacock discussion aside, uh, yeah, that was our discussion <laughs> of Halloween. And, uh, I guess we'll be back on, uh, we might do Dracula, but I know that we were also talking first October. Our first movie was supposed to be, um, oh God, what was it going to be? It was, uh, it was one that we've got some great ones on there. Um, it was gonna. Did I, did I just talk you into doing Killer Clowns in Outer Space? Because that's very no. We talked you out of that one. I do love it. No, oh, it's rats. not that I don't like it. It's that I don't know if I can stomach it this month. Um, no, we're gonna do Layer of the White Worm. Then oh, right. here's our plan. I'll just say the plan on the air now, and the plan might change because sometimes plans change. But we're planning on doing Layer of the White Worm, Maximum Overdrive, Sleepwalkers, The Reanimator, and The Stuff. Um, so oh, that's a good line. Yeah, though. that is. So, and then in December, I know we're going to do movies like Gremlins and Black Christmas and Silent Night, <laughs> Deadly Night and Krampus. Um, so we got, we got some fun things. Lined up. And so, uh, I guess we'll, we'll let everyone go. And until next time, we'll talk to you later.